Hello and welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode number 134. Let's roll. And right now I'm just sitting at, it, you know, I was thinking about it, you know, the day after the Super Bowl is that Monday and they all say that like, you know, everybody loses uh, productivity at work. I think this might be a sneaky time when everybody's in dynasty drafts and like rookie drafts when everybody's just on their phone at work and like, yeah, no, I'm working fucking just hammering out pick after pick trade after trade. My goodness, my alerts are going crazy. It is a wonderful time to be alive. And I am super excited to have my guest this week who lives that lifestyle for sure. And then some uh, I'm actually really, really delighted to be talking to for the very first time on this program, Mr. Scott Barrett. Scott Barrett is uh, over at Fantasy Points, absolutely awesome site uh, and uh, well worth every bit of your time to be on Fantasy Points. You can find Mr. Scott Barrett on Twitter at Scott Barrett DFB. The legend is in the house. Scott, what is going on? Hey, Jax. Uh, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yes. Yes. Uh, I'm excited to have you. I think, um, yeah, I was thinking about like how I would introduce you. And here's something that I'll tell you about you before I start to tell you how dumb you are. Let me just tell you how great you are. Okay. I think if there's like a list of guys that you would want to follow and like you could pick one person only to listen to their advice, I think you're on that list. You're a well-rounded fantasy analyst dynasty, all of it. I think you do an outstanding job and you would make the very, very short list of guys. If I had to say, you can only follow one guy and listen to one guy's advice, you'd be right there at the top, my brother. I, I appreciate that. I, I will also That's say, I, I, I try and uh, keep some stuff behind the paywall. Otherwise, our subscribers get mad at me. Uh, one of which, yes. for instance, uh, Chris Rodriguez, you sent me the show, show sheet. Uh, I, I haven't talked about him. No one's asking me about him on the podcast, intentionally not tweeting about him. But uh, I do think he's one of the best sleepers in rookie drafts, round four, maybe a final round pick in uh, in underdog leagues. Uh, so we can talk about him. But yeah, do try and keep some stuff uh, behind the paywall. So appreciate that uh, I, I stand out even in spite of that. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, totally. I'm, I think I recognize the process more than I recognize the hits or the misses or this is or, or that, you know, I mean, I, I have a saying, I have a number of sayings, but one of them is be ready to be wrong. Like I'm ready to be wrong about a lot of shit. Cause if you've been doing this for a minute, you know, you're going to be wrong about a lot, but actually being ready to be wrong is a skill as well. Like ready to get off a prior that didn't make any sense, but the process was good, but you're like, you know what? That's just, that player is not good or that that result is not what we're going to see. You know, Russell Wilson will get there, right? Certain things you're like, I think this is going to happen. And when it doesn't, you can't just double down on dumb. You got to re- reevaluate, put that process into place again and move forward. And I, I sort of judge you by, you know, certainly some wins and losses. But moreover, I I, I read into your process. And I think it's very, very sound. Yeah, thank you. I, I'm, I'm actually two weeks away from like the most depressed I'll be all year, which is uh, part of my process where uh, I go back over and look at my guys, my, this article I put out every year where must draft players on my rankings. And I just like self-flagellate over the misses from, from those rankings yes. and try and learn yes. something from that. Try and like cross-reference. Okay. Uh, what was the, the faulty 
process here? Was it just bad luck? Was it an injury? Yep. Or did I make a mistake? And then how can I learn from that? I, I, I think that's a, an invaluable part, but <laughs> I'm just going to be... I'll, I'll, gi- I'll give you two examples. For mm-hmm. me last year, I was on two players that kind of flamed out and <clears throat> one of them I feel like was bad process. The other one was I feel like bad luck. The bad process was Jalen Tolbert, you know, because I was kind of chasing situation a little bit more than I was chasing player. I liked the player a little bit, and then the player lands in this amazing spot, and then I steamed him too much, right? And so that's bad process, steaming situation a little bit more than the actual, you know, profile. The other one that I thought was bad luck was Albert O. I feel like I'll chase that profile again and again because it'll lead me to some some really high ceiling plays, and I'm okay crapping out because that's also in the range of outcomes for that process. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, the one who sticks out for me, oh boy, uh, I was way too high on Alvin Kamara. I was in redraft leagues. I was, I was dangerously, stupidly high and uh, mm. yeah, I, I don't want to talk about it. No, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Just double down, go this year again. I you don't know, know about that. I think he's, he's dusty. <laughs> I think he's dusty. I mean, there's no problem with Kamara this year. I don't see anything in his way from just a, a clear RB1 season. Like, nothing. There's nothing there. No, not just the go. potential five-year prison sentence? No, he's going to dodge that lawyer. like he's been dodging defenders for years. He's good. <laughs> he's fine. Just pull the trigger. Um, you did do something that I'm pretty uh, excited about. You joined me in a league that uh, I'm I'm kind of commissioning and, you know, f- uh, fairly okay uh, stakes, you know, uh, and uh, some really excellent players. And it's been a pretty interesting league. I think it's a lot of, uh, a lot of sharp players for sure. And there's almost like a, everybody's a little bit, there's a trepidation in the league about like, you know, either doing a full sort of productive struggle. I don't, necessarily call it that but i think that's the best way to describe it to the listeners and also not because there's uh, not that many people looking to really sell off and uh, there's not that many people buying up so it's almost like a straight draft in a lot of ways there's not a ton of movement no not at all i hate that i'm i'm a big mover in dynasty drafts me too yeah me too that's my uh, the article i wrote about dynasty was like you know just trade back and accumulate assets there's one player doing that in, in the league. I think he's probably got a pretty good shot too. He's got a nice little team, but that being said, it's like, it's a very interesting team, deep, deep roster. I think it's like start 12. So like, you know, there's four flex plus a super flex start three wide receiver pretty deep. So I think everybody's like afraid to like trade up and give up those, like, you know, those flex assets because they're going to need them. Yeah. I, I will say expert leagues tend to be soft, softer than, you know, just sometimes rando leagues. Um, but not this one. I, I don't think so, at least. And uh, yeah, I just uh, totally agree. I, we were saying before the show, I think the the two best dynasty players uh, I've ever played against are, are TJ Calkins and Curtis Patrick. And if you ask both of them, like, what's your one piece of advice in a dynasty startup is to trade down, acquire capital oh. as much as possible. <laughs> I thought you were going to say check scoring settings before. Oh God, God. that's number one. That's that's number one. I was going to. I thought that's where you were. I was like, oh God, off off guard and shit. Oh, you got me. (laughs) Oh shit. All right. So look, you you and I are are locking horns in that league, New Jersey versus Boston. Of course. I'm not living there anymore, you know, because it's cold and dark. Yeah, I'm in Texas now. West Coast. Where are you? Yeah, yeah. Got in uh, California. Nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you know, on the coast, you know, it's nice. Where are you at in Texas? Houston. Houston, is that a great spot or what? Oh, I love it, yeah. Yeah, I've heard good things. Yeah. 
Well, there you go. So, you know, Texas versus California, New Jersey versus Massachusetts. What could go wrong on this particular show? Absolutely nothing. I'm sure we'll agree on absolutely everything, starting with, obviously, we're both Patriots fans, right? Uh, I'm a Giants fan, so so Patriots are definitely my second favorite team by far. Oh, yeah, for sure. Just like me. I'm the Patriots first and Giants second. So weird that we have our second favorite teams. Easy. <laughs> Dude, you guys hold over us like crazy. You think about, I say this all the time. It's one of my favorite takes, but like, you know, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning holds over him. Big Ben holds over him like fucking big time. Um, uh, Aaron Rodgers, I mean, he can't hold over anybody more. Like he just goes to the NFC and is like fucking Super Bowl first year. What's the problem over here, buddy? You know, like he holds over all these guys. And then you go to like Eli Manning and Joe Flacco and like Nick Foles and, and he can't beat him. He can't beat him. Yeah. I, I think the two best teams to have been a fan of over the past 25 years, one, obviously the Patriots, their, their dynasty, all their championships, but two is definitely to me, the giants, they're two improbable, you know, miracle oh, Super yes. Bowl wins. So, uh, yeah, you know, we're, we're just, uh, living the life of luxury over here, you know, just, blessed. yeah. I mean, I will say the, the first one, the, the, the 19 and oh, well, 18, in one game was it was a shell shocking like I've had a few shell shocking games I'm old enough to have been alive for for Buckner and uh that one hurt a lot oh, I'm you're, a Mets you're fan. In New York yeah the Mets I mean you hold over me there Jesus man this is gonna I think this is gonna be a bad show for me I mean you hold <laughs> over me in every single way but um but yeah that one was one of the shell shockers you know I mean uh you know if you're not a Yankee fan Aaron Boone hitting the home run against the Red Sox also shell shock like there's been some shell shock moments but that 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 was one of them. The helmet catch, the whole fucking thing. I I, can't, I don't even want to go there. We don't have to. You, you got me. All right, but you know where we will go is where everybody wants you and me to start talking, which is the rookie class. And I was thinking about how we could approach this, and you know what's the funnest way to sort of get in there. I was thinking of just kind of thinking of some questions that I have that I I I want to try and figure out with. One thing that I know you do very well is you you model, not runway modeling, different, different kind of modeling. Like, you know, the people know, but yeah, you model the class before the draft. And then I would imagine if you want to speak to your process real quickly, that you then take that model and apply it to the reality of the outcome of the draft. Yeah. Yeah, I, I also do it differently than most of the people within the industry where I, I don't let projected draft capital uh, weight heavily at all. It's kind of just like a tiebreaker for me where a lot of other people have that as a set input. So I like that I have some polarizing takes or some unconventional takes. Um, you know, wasn't high on uh, uh, Zach Evans or Sean Tucker or uh Zach Charbonnet even, and, uh, uh, yeah. wasn't, wasn't that high on Jalen Hyatt, a bunch of these guys who fell, uh, Marvin Mims yeah. was my pre-draft wide receiver too. Um, yep. so, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how I do things differently. I take this super seriously. This is like my favorite piece of content I'll put out. I, I really spend all of three months working on nothing else but this. And I, I love every second of it. It's one of my favorite pieces too, the, that, that you do because, um, I do the same thing. I have my sort of anatomy thing that I utilize and I don't have a model necessarily, but I look at data points and I try to, you know, I weigh certain things, certain amount to, to create my pre-draft rankings. But unfortunately, one of them is my projected draft capital, right? And so I moved Sean Tucker down when I heard he had medical issues. So 
Like it wasn't because you see what I'm saying. So I do factor that in. If I was just using just the model, I would have been higher on Sean Tucker. Now you were, your model's better apparently because you were lower, but whatever. Say la vie. My point is, is that I do utilize it, which is why I love yours so much because I know it's draft capital agnostic, and that's the that's how you get Marvin Mims up to two. Now I happen to have Marvin Mims at at wide receiver four pre draft. Oh, I'd love to hear that. Yes. I had him at wide receiver four pre-draft just ahead of Zay Flowers. And, you know, so it kind of creates, and we're going to get there. We'll, we'll go there uh, a little bit later because I do want to get there. But it kind of creates some questions as to what do you do then? Well, let's dive back into the top where I wanted to talk about Jameer Gibbs. I think Jameer Gibbs, you know, I had a show just after the draft with Chalk. And, you know, he was asking, or we were asking each other, I guess, you know, where Gibbs lands. Does he... Does he move way, way up past the quarterbacks? Do you still draft JSN or Addison above him? Um, and and I was thinking, you know, because I have some questions, I thought that maybe we could draft some wide receivers ahead of him. But it certainly doesn't seem like the market is there. What, what do you generally think of, of Jameer Gibbs's value as it stands right now? So I said drafting Jackson Smith and Jigba was exactly like drafting Keenan Allen in 2013. Allen has finished as a fantasy wide receiver one in six straight seasons. Uh, I said minus like seven landing spots. I can promise you 100 catches from JSN year one. So high on this guy as, you know, the super flex 102 or super flex 103. And now I have Gibbs ahead of him. I uh, Gibbs is either the super flex 102 or the 103, depending on, you know, Anthony Richardson if if you're stacked at quarterbacks, take Gibbs. If uh, you, or if you really need a running back, take Gibbs. But they're basically tied. Let's say for all intents and purposes. And so part of that is the the landing spot on JSM, but it's also just the prospect profile, draft capital, and landing spot for Jameer Gibbs. Who is he? He's far and away the best pass catching running back to come out in at least five years. Far and away, not even close by depth adjusted yards per target over expectation, yards after the catch per reception, yards per route run. By uh, by best season yards per route run, only Christian McCaffrey is at a better season. By career yards per route run, he's ahead of Jalen Hyatt, ahead of Josh Downs, ahead of Zay Flowers, ahead of any tight end in this class, like really rare pass catching usage. And, and so the knock on him pre-draft was his weight, which, you know, I get that. It, it doesn't bother me too much. He's basically, you know, like an Austin Eckler clone, also a Naheem Hines clone, a Naheem Hines clone, which, you know, isn't great, but, you know, there's Austin Eckler there as a positive indicator. Uh, and it just, you know, supposedly underwhelming rushing production, certainly usage, but production. I, I liked his efficiency a lot. I, to me, like if you stack up Zach Charbonnet over his career versus Jameer Gibbs over his career, they're the exact same player by missed tackles force per attempt, yards mm. after contact per attempt. Charbonnet had way better offensive line. He was in the way better scheme. Sure, way more volume, and that matters. That's important. That's an edge over him. But uh, again, so I thought underrated runner, amazing pass catcher. And you know, I, I'm the guy who's always preaching you want running backs who catch passes in fantasy. A target is worth 2.5 times as much as a carry yeah. in PPR leagues, three, point, uh, three times as much outside of the red zone. And so my pre-draft comp for Gibbs was Austin Eckler. And I, I expected him to sort of take the follow the Austin Eckler career tra trajectory where I think he's going to be a bell cow, but maybe it doesn't happen year one, year two. And then he gets top 12 draft cap. In a day and age 
where you don't see that from running backs. You, you can look at the over the past nine seasons, running backs drafted top 12, the average, you know, 300 touches over 1500 yards from scrimmage. It's obscene. You know, th- that's huge. Yeah. And the yep. landing spot, like, did you watch the video of Brad Holmes, you know, almost breaking the table when they took him? That was insane. Yeah. I, I watched all these press conferences. I watched all these things. Yes. I've never seen that. It's like they just traded DeAndre Swift for Patrick Mahomes in a dynasty league. Yes. It was insane. Yes. It was amazing. And the landing spot to me is sneaky awesome. Uh, I, I did watch the presser on this. The, the running back coach, Scotty Montgomery, said he views him as an every down running back. Uh, he views David Montgomery in the same way. So it's not going to be a role thing, workhorse versus scat back plus. Uh, he, he said, we're not going to take him out of the red zone. We think he, think he can do that well, which is a concern I had in college. And then you just dig into the landing spot and Detroit target running backs, uh, target share over 20%, you know, high pace, fast pace, great offense, all that stuff. To me, it boils down to XFP. And, and by team running back XFP, Detroit ranks second among all teams. Basically, if you give Gibbs just 55% of the backfield XFP, he's Jonathan Taylor based on usage. 66%, he's Christian McCaffrey based on usage. 70%, he's Austin Eckler. If he's 90%, he's God. He's you know 2019 yeah. CMC. And so yeah. he doesn't need to be a bell cow year one to be an right. easy top five fantasy asset. He reminds me of Austin Eckler in 2019 with Melvin Gordon there who, you know, he didn't lead the team in carries, but he dominated targets and finished as the RB4 in fantasy. So that's what I see. I I love him. I think he's an amazing pick. Uh, And I I know this is a long-winded response, but uh, yeah, this is a guy I feel convicted on. Well, I was going to say, I'd love to respond, but there's too much shit in there for me to respond to. I had so many things I could talk about in your retort, but Ladies and gentlemen, this is why Scott's the fucking man, because that was so well put together, such a good thought, um, and you know that's why you're here, baby. A um, <clears throat> couple things that I, I I heard, and I'll touch on a couple of them real quick, but like you know the the pre draft assumption that JSN was ahead of him was where I was at, but as you start to there's two things, there's one thing you missed, which I think is also an interesting point, is that there's running back scarcity in rookie drafts. Right. So ultimately, at the end of the day, once you get past uh, Jameer Gibbs, there's nothing close to Jameer Gibbs. We might have been able to say that a little bit about uh, Charbonnet, given his draft capital. But he goes to a spot where he's behind Ken Walker, which we'll get to later. But then after that, it's a third round pick is the next, you know, the next uh, running back off the board. And I don't know, man, we just didn't see anything after that that really rises to the top of oh, this dude's getting an opportunity, you know, right away, year one, here we go. So there was none of that. So running back scarcity, and and you're right, man. Look, top 15 draft capital, when you were saying he's like uh, Naheem Hines or Austin Eckler. Like, Just the athletic yeah, those profile. No, no, I'm saying, but if, yeah, if those motherfuckers were drafted in the top 15, right, of course you right, got there. Right. It's like, exactly, like, holy smokes, you know, so it's right. Like, I, there's never been a, a, you know, never. In the last 15, 20 years, there really hasn't been a bust out of the top 15 uh, of the draft at the running back position. You have to really go to Trent Richardson, who, oh, by the way, did rush for a thousand yards his rookie season. So, I mean, obviously he was a bust, but kind of not really. Um, And so, you know, it's really, you have to fail epically. And I don't think that's what's happening. You point out the fact that they were jumping around like a bunch of, you know, schoolgirls. you know, uh, they were, they were so excited. They immediately trade DeAndre Swift for nothing, like they're all in. 
The weird thing is, of course, they paid David Montgomery starter money to be a backup. Well, that, that one's a little bit scary, but I'm with you a thousand percent. I've come around in the last week or so, and I've been drafting him and, and ranking him right there. You said something also that's kind of interesting. I think that you basically said that he is, and my next question is, in, in, in accordance to the three quarterbacks, sounds like you'd be willing or absolutely willing to take him above some of those quarterbacks. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, that, in Superflex, that's what I have in my rankings. But again, a lot of this is, is team dependent, depending on your need. But yeah, what you brought up is is exactly right. I, I sort of buried the lead here. And that's not just running back scarcity in rookie drafts. That's running back scarcity in startups. I I had this tweet pre-draft that I, I got trashed for. I was like, if I'm in a pre-draft rookie draft, the only running back I'm excited to take is Bijan Robinson. That, that might be the only running back I take in any pre-draft rookie draft. Someone responded, well, what about Jameer Gibbs? And I was oh, yeah, uh, maybe he's good. He's fine at his price. I haven't written him up yet. And I wish I did because then that tweet would have been great because I, I really did fall in love with him pre-draft. Uh, but yeah, what I was seeing with this class as a whole is I, I wasn't seeing any bell cows. I wasn't seeing any running backs with massive upside. And then you look at the, from a macro oh. view, 12,000 foot view of the, you know, all these teams, you see so many running backs, one of the best free agency classes in recent memory, a deep running back class, even if it's not very good, it's very deep. And so you right. see all these running backs, you don't see any available jobs. And so I would take Gibbs, right? You could take Gibbs as the RB two in a startup. I don't think that's a hot take. I, I would have them behind Jonathan right. Taylor, but, but top three, sure. Yeah. And I feel great about that. It's because all of these backs now are committee backs. So, you know, the age of the bell cow back, you know, I was the bell cow guy, bell cow or bust was my draft philosophy. Yep. It's just, it's dead. This is like a super zero yeah. RB year. It's, uh, and so it drives up guys <laughs> like this. And yeah, you said these start signed Montgomery to, to start her money. I, I don't know about that. Again, it's like Austin yeah. Eckler in 2019. He, he didn't lead the team in carries, but he was a top five fantasy option. And that's what I see with Jameer Gibbs. Uh, and so love this guy. Yeah, and you answered the next question. I was going to ask where you where you see him in you know in um, in accordance to all the other uh, you know running backs in the league, not just in his class. And it sounds like yeah, you you would be fine with him as high as RB two, but certainly no lower than you know RB five six. It sounds. I mean, like. who I mean, are you putting above him? Who is there to get excited about? I'm not excited about Brees Hall. I, I know everyone else. I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about Brees Hall. I mean, I, look, I, the, the Brees Hall, what, what's the negative? The ACL? Multiple I mean, things. That's it, right? One. It's, one is the ACL where I, I'm not an injury guy. I'm always like way too injury optimistic. But I talked to David Chow, who's, who's you know, really helped me out over the years just on this one tip. And it's always fade running backs year one following an yes, ACL. Then the ACL. year yep, two, they're going to be true. great. That was true with, you know, Dalvin Cook. That was true with Saquon Barkley. That's true with all these guys. And so I I could see his his value dropping a little bit this year. But more than that, I I watch all these press conferences. Salah believes in a committee backfield. They went away from that in like, what, the two games before his injury, and then he gets hurt. And so what did he do? They tried to take Jameer Gibbs at 15. Uh, yeah. The GM, the GM texted Brad Holmes and said, "Great pick. He, we would have taken him at fifteen if you didn't, if if you let him fall." And wow, and that would have that would have fried brains right there. They also they also uh, drafted Izzy Abanaconda, who I don't like. Uh, they also hate. Michael Carter, but I, I think the envision Izzy to have this sort of, you know, a, 
sort of set eight to 12 touches per game. I don't see Brees Hall as a bell cow. Travis Etienne, it's the same thing. It's you, you yeah. got Tank Bigsby. This is a, a coach who is obsessed with committee backfields. And every single one of these press conferences I, I watched, they all said the same thing. It's like, you can't, you're not going to have one guy stay healthy 17 games. You really do need to split the load a little bit. It's just the wear and tears. And, and so Bijan Robinson, you know, even with Arthur Smith being a donkey, you know, he's going to get 20 carries and, you know, four targets at least. Uh, and then Jameer Gibbs, you know, he's not going to lead the team in care, but like those targets are really going to add up. Eckler too, but he's old. And so like, who are you getting excited about it? I'm, I'm yeah. having trouble. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you need to have running back scoring on your, on your fantasy team generally to, to win. So we must draft running backs, but I hate drafting running backs. And, and it's evidenced in our startup where these running backs are just falling and falling. I mean, you know, I, I sort of felt compelled just because it's a it's enough money that I'd rather try and win it in year one. I mean, I think I got, you know, Jacobs, who, by the way, Jacobs, did you know he just turned 25? Like, Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a great pick. That's a great pick. I mean, but it's crazy, right? Like, Jacobs should be 28 or whatever. Like, like according to, like, what draft class was he in? He was in Miles Sanders, right? Miles Sanders just turned 28. I think he did actually turn – I think Miles Sanders might be 28. I'm not even sure if that's right. That may be wrong. But, no, he's 27, I think. E- either way, like, these guys are older than you think sometimes. And, like, Jacobs is still young. But the, these guys we, – we played a game of chicken in this startup with these – with the with the, with the the running backs in a lot of cases because, you know, Dalvin's still on the board in round nine. Um, I just took A-chain over Dalvin, not because I think he's going to outscore him this year, but, man, oh, man, it's hard to – pull the trigger on Dalvin and then just oh, a year later, you have no clue what you've got. So these, these running backs are hard to put in, but Dalvin could have a RB six season, right? Like that, that is not out of the question, but in dynasty still a very flimsy asset, especially compared to just a wide receiver. That's going to hold value over the next four or five years. So that's a little bit of an aside. No, it's it, just, it's so difficult. No, it's an important point. I, I think my dynasty startup strategy is that sort of bell cow or bust where, I yeah. want one of those. I want Brian Robinson or Jameer Gibbs, or I want like zero Bijan, running back. You said Brian. By the oh, way, not hey, Brian listen, Robinson. listen. I've been. This is Dynasty Game Theory One Hundred and One. Take if you have Brian Robinson on your team, sell him, but like ask for like Jamar Chase and like make it like so like value him as if it's Bijan and see if <laughs> someone just hits. <laughs> It's not a bad, bad idea. I think uh, there was another Adrian Peterson in the NFL yes. who accidentally went, you know, round Lamar one. Lamar Jackson, the cornerback. Right, right. Yeah, just send it. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so what I was saying, yeah. So we took Bijan Robinson in this and then we didn't take yes. another running back and we're not going to for a while. You know, Forever. Right? Yeah. I mean, who's going to be there in round 12? It could be Dalvin. It could yeah, be, yeah, yeah. it could be Aaron Jones, Miles Sanders, uh, yeah. But like I'm honestly fine with like my RB two just sucking ass, being like Kareem right. Hunt or Zeke or uh, you know, oh yes. Madison. I mean, like all these guys. So like I I want to spend as little draft capital as possible just because there's so many pathways for a running back to bust, whether through injury or signing yep. a veteran. So yeah, I don't I don't want those misses tanking my roster. So I, I'm really gonna yep. go cheap at that position. I totally agree. I think it's smart. And and while I was flirting with that. I tanked my last pick and I did take a chain and uh, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it was, it's a, it's a tough spot, but there's a, there's a little bit of risk reward there too, right? Where he's only 21 years old. All of a sudden, you know, if he is kind of this lightning in a bottle, you can, you can also sell him for more than the, 
you know, wide receiver, you know, Mike Williams or whatever, you know what I mean? So um, anyway, that's, that's an aside. Well, speaking of, go ahead. Well, Mike McDaniel said uh, in the press conference, like he, he loved a chain, you know, he, he, he yeah. knew he was going to draft him two to three weeks earlier, fell in love with his tape. But he also said the plan to sign a veteran by week one and uh, per sources or, you know, word on the street is uh, Zeke. No, they're just waiting for Dalvin to pass his physical and then they're going to trade for him. Yeah, though, if that happens, it's it's that's bad news. That's super bad news. Yeah. And then it kind of solidifies that he is just that, you know, eight to 10 touch guy at a max, you know, deep shot. That's a huge, huge problem. But he that is a huge problem. But I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, any sort of veteran is going to sort of. I, I, you wouldn't think, oh, 18, yeah, 20 carries for sure. You know what I mean? It's more like you, you expect them to have a pretty good target share, you know? And, and yeah, eight to 12 carries is about all you would expect, honestly. I mean, you know, they're going to chop it up and hopefully he's the pass down back. That's really what you're looking for. I mean, it's almost like Gibbs light, right? You know, not obviously not quite Gibbs. He didn't get the draft capital. He wasn't the prospect, et cetera, et cetera. But in that vein where they have a guy like a David Montgomery who, does David Montgomery things and then a chain Gibbs do those things. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Speaking of a chain though, a lot of times in rookie drafts, you know, there's a point late first where you're compelled to start drafting, maybe a running back. Maybe you have it different than this, but after Gibbs, once there's a, a an RB three, I have been waffling between a chain and Kendra Miller. I think Kendra's the better prospect, but I do think A-Chain, up until they sign Dalvin and make me look like an idiot, has a better year one, uh, you know, optimism. Um, who would you be drafting and who are you drafting, if any of those guys, uh, at that point? Yeah, so A-Chain, I mean, like, uh, really love the the, the player. Uh do question, you know, upside given his slight frame and, and how, you know, it's a a position driven by volume. I question the volume, but this is a guy, my dynasty co-partner, Danny Kelly called the Tyreek Hill of running backs. Like that's his upside, Uh, really good pass catcher. Supposedly a number of NFL teams per Dane Brugler viewed him as a wide receiver. Um, this was like the perfect landing spot. One of the concerns I had was that something like 65% of his carries came in outside zone by far the most of any running back in this class. Well, guess what? He just landed with the team that runs outside zone at one of the highest rates in the league. Uh, really exciting. I have Kendra Miller above him and it's a way yeah. tougher sell, but like, that's what I'm doing in drafts is I'm, I'm taking Kendra Miller. It's just my model really liked him. My model had him as the R- pre-draft RB three. Uh, he yeah. wasn't a lead at, too. wasn't a lead at anything, but he was really good at sort of everything as it pertains to the run. Um, really young, uh, like I like the landing spot a lot. I think he immediately is the, you know, Week four, he's going to start leading the team in carries and be that Mark Ingram in the backfield. Jamal Williams is just a guy to me, uh, just a guy. And, uh, you know, Alvin Kamara, like I said, might just be dust at this stage of his career. He might also go to prison for five years. So uh, right. I, I like this landing spot. I like the player. It's, just, it's like everyone who's read this, my rankings is like, yeah, I get what you're saying. It's just like so, so gross to take Kendra over a chain in this like miracle landing spot. And I get it, it yeah, but that's what that's I right. have. That's right. I, I'm sort of doing Jalen Tolbert all over again with a chain. The landing spot is tantalizing and it's getting me. And, you know, you hear uh, 
you know, yeah, I, it's a tough spot because running backs are so situation dependent sometimes. Like how many, you know, you just said it's, it's opportunity based, you know, a wide receiver. I don't care. Like JSN, people are like down on the JSN thing. I'm like, uh, I don't care. I'm fine with it. it. It may be a little bit less lucrative in year one than you and I had both hoped or thought, but it's not a problem. I mean, I mean I, you're talking about, yeah. I still view him as drafting Keenan Allen in 2013. It's just what it comes down to is, I think in four months, uh, Jameer Gibbs is going to be going three rounds earlier in startups. I think people, right. you know, there's a short attention yes. span, the short term landing spots that bad, but you know, I, when that happens, right. I'm going to try and acquire him in every league and I already have him in a ton of leagues. Yeah, that's right. I, <clears throat> I had mentioned, uh, let's see what you think about this. I had mentioned that when CD lamb came into the NFL, everybody was like, Oh, tough landing spot. And I, when I when I projected uh, year one CD Lamb Cowboys, I sort of projected all three of them at about 100 targets, Amari, Gallup, and CD. And that's about what happened. I mean, it was obviously not exactly that, but pretty much, you know, they kind of split it up. And I thought going in that in redraft or whatever, you know, just that season, it kind of hurt all three of them. Um, but I was still all in on CD. And what was interesting about the way that CD sort of entered the league was he entered through the slot. You know, he came in, played slot only. Amari and Gallup played on the outside and played in two two wide receiver sets. CD just basically was a slot only player. And then year two, he knew slot and he kind of migrated outside, played a, a, a lot more outside and was the alpha. You know, he sort of became the alpha over the next two years. <clears throat> I don't know that um, JSN's necessarily going to play as much outside, but I think he's going to enter the league the same way. I think Lockett is going to be the Z. Obviously, DK is the X and JSN's going to be the, the the starting slot. He's going to play every slot snap he can handle and uh, and enter the league in a very same way. I also think he's a, a bit of a target magnet, as you point out. I agree a thousand percent. He out targeted, you know, uh, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave uh, at Ohio State. I think he's going to be a high volume, high high target player in the slot with Geno Smith and with those two players. And I, I'm not too worried about it at all. And then I think he's going to migrate and grow from there. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I I just can't agree. I, I wish I could. It, what it comes down to it. with me is Pete Carroll's love of twelve personnel. Uh, sure, Seattle yeah. had three wide receivers on the field. I don't know, sixty percent of the time last year. That was the sixth lowest rate. Uh, Pete, Who was their wide receiver three? No, I get like. that. I get that. And Pete Carroll was asked exactly about this. My my wishful thinking was okay. Well, they now have an amazing third wide receiver that they spent round one draft capital on. Oh, and by the way, Shane Waldron, their OC, ran eleven at the highest rate in the league when he was with the Rams. He was asked exactly this question at his press conference, and he was like, "No, we really like our tight ends. We made this pick because we like what it does for when we do have three wide receivers on the field. We like we want to maximize those plays, but no, I don't think we're going to ch- be changing personnel to any degree. And so like of course I do think it is going to go up, but like that downside yeah. risk of him being a part-time player is atrocious. Basically if he's at a 65% route share, he's running 25 routes per game. That's wide receiver 75 levels. And so just yeah. the downside risk year 1 is I'm fading him in redraft, but again, I love oh, the yeah, players. Too. So yeah. dynasty is no, different. I get it. Yeah, no, no, I get it. And I, I mean, I just have to imagine that they can't be that stupid. You know, I, I mean, to, to I mean, the this degree is where it's, we're talking about, I know, I know, they drafted 
Charbonnet in fucking round two. I mean, it, it, it that pick doesn't make very much sense to me at all. Um, I made sense I, I to me actually. I, I I had them taking a running back day two just because at the time of the pick, the only running backs they had on the roster were Kenneth Walker and uh, DJ Dallas, and so yes. he let. Carroll likes a physical downhill style of runner who can't stay healthy, uh, always dealing with injuries. I mean, he took Penny when he had a stack running back room. He took uh, yeah. uh, uh, Christine Michael in round two when he had Marshawn Lynch. He's just, uh, he has a running back fetish yeah. is what it is. He does. I know. I know. I just felt like with the, with the depth of the class, as we talked about earlier, it's not, you know, that's a good after point. Gibbs. You know, I've, I was like, they they can wait. I mean, they could have gotten Kendra Miller in the third or whatever. You know, it's like, I mean, I just, I, I find it, I didn't find it surprising, by the way, that they did um, draft running back early. I agree with that. I just find it surprising that they were the, so eager to take Charbonnet the, to start the, the ball rolling. Like, I wonder too, how long, when was Charbonnet going? I'm sure it was pretty soon, but, you know, I, I do wonder when, because I thought it was going to be a bit of a game of chicken at some point with these running backs. And it was kind of, I mean, a lot of these guys went fifth round. I mean, even a Banacanda, I know you don't love him. I mean, he's a, he's a home run hitter. I like him a lot. I mean, he's got a big body. Obviously he's the most, you know, uh, explosive, uh, you know, running back in the draft, but even he went fifth round. I mean, I thought Kendra was, I thought Kendra was the third best. I'm with you. I thought he was the third best back overall in the, in the draft. I would have taken him ahead of Charbonnet. So, I mean, that's what I guess I'm getting at is that, you know, with so many, you know, other, Tank Bigsby, if you like a guy who can pound it, you know, could have gone much later. So that's the reason I was surprised they sort of, you know, jumped on Charbonnet so early when they had other needs, you know? Yeah. I, but of course, you could say it's a, it's a reach. My, my model would have agreed with you. It wasn't very yeah. high on Charbonnet at all. Yeah. I mean, I felt like Charbonnet was sort of a volume play for somebody who needed volume. Not necessarily, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, eh, whatever. We're, we're over it. I'm not going to get too worried about it. Um, at, before we get to A Chain and Miller in the draft, usually, there's, um, you know, it's JSN, it's the three quarterbacks, you know, it's the two running backs. But I feel like every draft I've been in, every rookie draft I've been in, it's Addison, then Quentin, or Quentin, then Addison. I feel like they're just right there, 7-8, boop, boop. They go 7-8, and it's one or the other. So if you had the seven, <laughs> would you be taking one of them? And if so, which one? Yeah, this this isn't one I, I feel really confident in. Um but I would take Quentin Johnston. I just, my pre-draft model liked him more. He had the better landing spot, but there's no question in my mind that uh, the Minnesota landing spot, I think is, is better for Jordan Addison. Also watching that, that presser, uh, it couldn't be, you know, starker contrast. They loved Jordan Addison. They, they talked about specifically what he does to this offense, how Justin Jefferson gets these premier looks added defensive attention, which is going to set up their wide receiver to, uh, for success, you know, against lesser coverage. Yeah. And the chargers GM, Tom Telesco, you know, you, you like to see these guys when they take a player 45 minutes earlier, kind of get excited and hype them up. And you, you just didn't see that from the, from Tom Telesco, who he was asked, do you expect Quentin Johnson to, to be a starter for you this year? And he was like, ah, I don't know. I don't want to put that on him. You know, we, right. we, the ball's got to go around. There's, we got a lot of hands to feed and, uh, uh, we really like Josh Palmer and like, yeah, that's probably BS just because, you know, Josh Palmer is just a guy, but y you want to yeah. hear these guys be a little bit more excited. Yeah. I, um, it's funny because like th they're both pretty solid prospects. They were picked back to back in the NFL draft. Addison's got the wide open field 
<laughs> literally and figuratively. And, you know, I mean, just because of the gravity of uh, and weight of, of Justin Jefferson and all the rest of it. And then on the other side, you got a pass happy offense and he's tied to with Quentin Johnson. He's tied to Herbert who forever because Herbert's going absolutely nowhere. Right. Like Herbert is there. So Quentin is going to be there for, you know, three years or something. I mean, even if he busts out, I mean, and and I've just been saying if Quentin Johnson is any good, we're going to find out because Herbert's awesome, you know, so we get to find out if this kid's good. And if he is good, there's a huge ceiling with Quentin Johnson. I just love, you know, and, and, and when I, when I have the, these ties in, in dynasty and I might be making a mistake with a chain over, over Kendra, in, for this reason, and I may be making the same mistake for Addison over Quentin Johnson, potentially, but I tend to lean year one because of that value, right? I can, I can, like, in other words, if we were looking at Olave versus Traylon Burks, now Traylon Burks could be better. He's probably not, of course, not now, but you know what I mean? Could have been better or whatever uh, than, than those guys, but now you could sell Olave for 17 Traylon Burkses. You know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, you know what I mean? So it's like they were close. Now they're not. So, and that's year one that does that. Um, it's still possible that Traylon's awesome and is one of these guys. I mean, we don't know. We, we're not sure, but it's also an awful situation, yada, yada. But you get my point. And the point there is that if if uh, if Quentin is stuck behind, you know, Josh Palmer and Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, et cetera, and kind of gets a slow start, but Addison's out there every down, you know, getting, you know, five, six, seven targets a game, you could, you know, you just have more value immediately. So uh, it's not the only thing that matters, but it matters. Yeah, I I think that's right. I I will just say, you know, these guys are, you know, professional BS artists. uh, And, you know, I've never been a Mike Williams guy. I don't really think he brings that much to that offense. And and Joe Lombardi is no longer there. Joe Lombardi was obsessed with this guy. He called him his, his new Michael Thomas. So he's out of the picture. So, uh, yeah, whatever Tom Telesco says, I, I, I really believe in this player's talent. And so I, you know, I could see a pathway for him to, to beating out, uh, Jordan Addison year one. That's just not where I would take him today in a redraft, but in a dynasty, I, I do prefer QJ. Yeah, that's fair enough. I, 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 um, I, I've gotten a, a couple of shares of each along the way and totally, totally happy. Like I don't, uh, I, you know, I like both players and, and they look real good on the roster. You know, when you draft them, you're like, feel good about that. That looks pretty good. Late first. Let's go. Um, some of the guys in the, but in the early second, and, and this happens every year, right? In the second round, there's these second round wide receivers, you know, whether it was LaVisca, Chenault, Brian Edwards, Ayuk, T Higgins, Right. Like, you know, uh, Terrace Marshall, Elijah Moore, you know, Jalen Waddle sometimes was there. Bateman, like whoever, like these sort of round one, two turns. But this year, you know, these round two rookie wide receivers, most often Mingo and Mims and Downs and Rashi Rice, Jaden Reed. uh, You you mentioned Jalen Hyatt, all these guys. Right. I guess I would say. How are you treating this group in rookie drafts? Are you are you taking them? Are, are you fading some of them? What, how do you sort of parse this group of of, of second round wide receivers? Yeah, I, I don't really know how to answer this except to give my yeah. rankings, which is wide receiver five Marvin Mims, wide receiver six Jonathan Mingo, and then wide receiver seven Rasheed Rice, tear break Jaden Reed, tear break Josh Downs, Nathaniel Dell, Jalen Hyatt, Cedric Tillman. Uh, and I feel good about that. I, I feel good about all yeah. those guys. I think what that means is basically I'm not going to have a lot of Rasheed Rice 
Kansas just because, you know, people see that Kansas City landing spot. They trip over yep. themselves to take him. Uh, not going to have a ton of Jaden Reed because eh, I just don't think I like him as much as everyone else. Same for Jalen Hyatt, who my pre-draft model didn't like and that he didn't have the good draft capital. Yes, uh, Mims agreed. is my guy, so I have him everywhere. I'm going to keep taking him everywhere. But also Jonathan Mingo. Like This is where the edge is in fantasy football is when you have a conviction that runs counter to the narrative, the prevailing narrative. And so with this, this model stuff, you know, I'm competing against all these other guys who are looking at the same thing, digging into the analytics and, you know, some of us value different metrics. I age adjusted yards per route run depth, adjusted yards per target over expectation. Those are things I look at that other people tend not to, but even looking at that, Jonathan Mingo's analytics profile is poor. But but right. where he separates for me is I can make a very intriguing bull case narrative for him. And this is the same thing with Damian Pierce last year, where if I just tweak this one thing and it makes logical sense for me, for, for me as for why I should tweak this one thing, then he's easily my RB3. If not, he's you know my RB8 or whatever it is. But because upside is more valuable in fantasy than downside is detrimental, He's going to be much closer to that high end ranking than, you know, RB8 or wherever he would be without that tweak. And so it's the same thing with Jonathan Mingo. The first two years at Old Miss, he was stuck behind Elijah Moore, which, you know, anyone who knows me knows my model thought Elijah Moore was like this amazing prospect. So I, I can't penalize him too much for that. To, so that somewhat excuses the late breakout. And then the next year, he averaged over 100 yards per game. And then he broke his ankle. He missed the next, I don't know, six weeks. He came back. He came back too early. He wasn't great. Immediately when the season ended, he had surgery again to re-repair it uh, because, again, he wasn't fully healthy. Uh, that capped his offseason a little bit. He comes back for six weeks. He's averaging 3.45 yards per route run. That would have led all power five wide receivers last year. And then their starting tight end goes down with an injury. Because of lack of depth at that position, they move him in line on 25% of his snaps. And so, of course, his production takes a hit. And so that all that 100 plus yards per game, super elite yards per route run before, you know, becoming a tight end and 97th percentile athleticism plus amazing draft capital. I'm buying into this bull case narrative when, Mm. when the prevailing narrative I think is, Oh, this guy sucks. He was, he was a reach. Uh, the analytics profile sucks. So that's where I'm at with Mingo. Interesting. It's very interesting. First of all, you know, there's a, the, the case I can make for Mingo is a bit thinner than that, but it is that he's a top 40 wide receiver and you know those that's where you want to get your wide receivers is top 40 top 40 picks so anything outside of that is basically a crapshoot anyway he does fall inside the top 40 for those reasons you kind of got to like him i don't know man he just feels like a little bit of a trap to me um i don't know i i'm i'm very very dubious uh of this player for the reasons you stated right that he's just got such a you know you have to tell a that was a long story, a big story about for him. Sure. You don't have to do that for a lot of these for guys. Sure. Like I love first of all, that's a great story. You did a good job. I'm I'm almost ready to buy in. I'm like, fuck, maybe I'm making a mistake by, you know, missing on Mingo. But um, but your story that you tell about Marvin Mims is the one that I love. Because for me, Marvin Mims, like, you know, I I was I was looking at him early on, like, and um uh, you know, when I when I first looked at, I'm getting rustling through my papers. People love this. 
Those are my papers. Uh, when I was going through Marvin Mims early on, I was wondering why he wasn't getting projected draft capital because I couldn't figure it out. I'm like, okay, I look at things like, was he an early declare? Yes, he was. Yards per team pass attempt. Pretty freaking good. You know, uh, his best season was a bit ahead of Zay Flowers and, you know, uh, Quentin Johnson and, you know, only behind Addison and, and, and uh, JSN at the top. Actually, Downs was the best in class, as you know. But, you know, he, he's a little light. He's super fast. He had a great dominator. Uh, you know, he had an early breakout age, one of the best in the class. I think it was the best in the class or right there with it. Um, so, you know, he broke out early. And then I don't follow – this is going to sound surprising to all you guys, I'm sure. But I don't follow high school football. <laughs> but <laughs> when Mr. Scott Barrett told me about Marvin Mims's high school, uh, you know, prolific – achievements and then coupled that with what he he immediately did that in college and has been doing it all along he's also what what was the number he is dude he is for his career in college he's 19.5 yards per catch it's like that looks like a misprint this dude is just unbelievable started producing and started making big plays right from the get and apparently, Mr. Mr. Barrett, he was doing this in high school as well. Can you tell the people? Yeah, I mean, high school production doesn't really mean anything to me. But this is, you know, no, another but compelling when it's this good, it does. Story. It's like Derrick Henry levels, right? You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. crazy. So, I mean, so, so, look, I'm not I'm not trying to use that as a data point, but it is kind of fun to talk about. So the most career receiving yards in Texas state history. Keep in mind, Texas is the size of most, you know, maybe the size of Scandinavia in its entirety and its chief export is pro bowl caliber wide receivers. Uh, the greatest single season receiving yardage mark in our nation's history. And then as an 18 year old true freshman, the second best age adjusted yards per route run season since 2014, the next season best ever since 2014 yards per target, uh, the top 10 list, all stack names, all pro bowl caliber wide receivers. That matters the following season with his third different quarterback, his second different head coach, all the raw production numbers were there. You know, the, the, the metrics that everyone else tends to like yards per team pass attempt, all that stuff was there. The combine was great. And so like, I, I hate going out on, I mean, I kind of like it, but like when I go out on an island, it makes me nervous just because people tend to remember the big misses more than the big hits. Um, But like from a fantasy perspective, that's, that's how you got to play the game. Uh, And, and so it made me nervous. So I I tried to poke as many holes as I could. And I, I just came away feeling convicted that this is the second best wide receiver in this class based on his analytics profile. And to have him anything less than that would just be false. Right. So here's the question. I, <clears throat> I, I saw what you had. I, I, I was moving them up, moving them up, moving them up. And again, I, I bake in, you know, projected draft cap. And I was like, look, what if he gets, you know, early second round, which is, which was possible. And I moved him all the way up to, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, wide receiver four. And then it's like, he goes as the eighth wide receiver off the board, according to the NFL. All I'm asking is very simple question. Like, why? Why do you think that happened? Like, in other words, why? Because, I mean, even like, you know, it's not like we've got a Jalen Hyatt situation where it's like a one-season wonder type of thing. You look at, like, uh, Matt Harmon's reception perception. He does pretty well on more than one. He's not just a one-trick pony. He was he was effective in, at multiple routes, mostly downfield routes. But, you know, 
why do you think this happened? Uh, I, I think I think it he he's uh, you know Sean Payton saw all the things that that I, the numbers told me, which is even if he is you know most of his production came as a deep threat, which by the way is true of just about any of the top ten wide receivers who were drafted right. minus JSN uh, Josh right. Josh Downs. Um, even if he's just that, that is a valuable skill set in the NFL. The Patriots took Tyquan Thornton round two last year. Right. And so, yeah, the big knock on him from film guys was, oh, he runs a limited route tree. And my counter to that was always like, all right, well, he was a fucking monster on three routes. Watch what he does when he gets <laughs> right. NFL level coaching. He had three different wide, uh, wide receiver coaches in three different seasons. And so my, my only, uh, how I couched my, my love for him was, was maybe he follows the Tyler Lockett career trajectory where he goes to a team and he's just a deep threat specialist early on. And then he grows into something more like a potential fantasy juggernaut, like, like Lockett's become. And I think that's sort of what Sean Payton was saying. Like, the guy traded up for him in round two. This is the first ever pick he made as a member of the Denver Broncos. His round two wide receivers have all been awesome. It's, you know, Brandon Cooks, it's Michael Thomas, guys like that. And so I think he has a clear p- plan in, in place. And also, by the way, I mean, like how many trade rumors have there been for Jerry, Judy, Cortland Sutton? I don't think he's there we go. deeply tied to any of those. I don't think he's tied to Russell Wilson either, but this is a, a player he handpicked. Well, I'm sure... His back pocket is tied to Russell Wilson, but yeah, yeah. for this year, I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, per sources or whatever, you know, if it doesn't work out, he's going to be, he's going to move on after this year. But uh, yeah, a brilliant offensive minded head coach. So uh, yeah, I, I like this landing spot. Technically, round two draft capital. You, you talked about projected draft capital. I mean, PFF had him as like wide receiver 19, 33rd team as had him as like wide receiver 30. Uh, so so I was what? really pleasantly surprised by this landing spot in draft capital. Yeah. I don't well that that's nonsense obviously. I mean I don't know what you're looking at. Like what possibly could you look at where that's the case? I'm, I mean I'm not a tape guy. It doesn't factor into my write-ups, but like I love the tape. The guy was making more OBJ like catches than I've seen from any player since OBJ. Yeah, I I, I look if I don't want to get into bad mouthing a, a gigantic, you know, uh publications in our in our industry, but that doesn't make any sense. He was definitely, you know, a top 10. I mean, geez, Louise. So anyway, yeah, that, but talking about Denver and talking about Russ, I guess you got to ask the question. There's a couple of questions. Let's talk about Denver just for a moment. I think they're an interesting situation. They are the place where our favorite wide receiver is. And so it kind of matters as to what the fuck happens there as to what happens with Mr. Marvin Mims. The first question I would ask that I'm trying to figure out the Denver situation is, is Russell Wilson cooked or will he cook again? Oh, well phrased. Thank yeah, you. I think he's super cooked. I think he's, I think he's, yeah. super. <laughs> uh, so, so Greg, Jarrett Stidham, fire him up. Uh, probably not this year. Probably not this year. Oh, no. I mean, like the, the counter argument is like, even if he is cooked, I mean, Drew Brees was cooked and he was putting up QB one numbers with, with Sean Payton, but it's, yeah, I do think he's super cooked because but like, by the way, it was crazy how him and Geno Smith basically just freaky Friday their numbers. But um, dude. Greg Cassell told us three years ago that he thinks Russell Wilson is washed and yeah. he couldn't look any more right. Per sources, yes. per our connections, uh, Sean Payton 
if it doesn't work out this year and he's not optimistic, very quick to just walk away at the end of this year. And, you know, he might already be leaning in that direction. Per other sources, I have no idea how legitimate this is. Just some random guy DM me on, on Twitter when I was tweeting about this. He said he's friends with someone in the front office, I think of the Raiders, who uh, per their in-house uh, proprietary system, that which tracks... I don't know, ball velocity and launch angles or something like that. Uh, Russ is super washed and he's been washed and that's why they didn't trade for him. And uh, so I'm just, I'm just, and also I was tweeting about it yesterday. uh, There was a picture of Russell Wilson and Sean Payton together at a basketball game, a Denver Nuggets game. And apparently they didn't coordinate that. Like it was just happenstance. Yeah. Uh, And so like I tweeted about how like Russell Wilson ruined their date night and like they were pissed about it. He was just like cringy as hell, you know, like coach, let's do a Broncos let's ride for the Instagram. And like, and, and it was notable to me that Sean Payton made his wife sit in between him and Russell Wilson. Like he definitely pegged his wife. Please, you have to. That's a fact. You have to sit. I can't sit next to this cringy motherfucker. Please, I will buy you a new Lexus. I cannot sit next to him. So, so that was my kind of joke. I saw that. I wondered. I thought, why would they have gone to the game together? And he he put his wife in the you know in the middle there. And I was like, well, you know, whatever. Maybe what you know, who was on the other side? I didn't pay much attention, but I did notice it. That is the fact that they did not go together, and he put her there is very telling that's i mean this is the this is the scientific uh you know detective work we need hey listen to this uh according to over the cap i don't know i'm sure they're you know right um this year 2023 uh he is 20 his cap number is 22 million um but next year his cap number is 35 4 and he has 85 million of dead cap money if they cut him pre June. Oh 1st. my God. I, I heard and some cap guy. It's 50 million against the cap pre June 1st. Now, I don't know what the fuck happens post June 1st. Let me see if I can fuck with that. Post June 1st. Let's see what happens. But it's, then. it's, oh no, no. Yeah. Post June 1st, they can get out of it. He has zero post guaranteed after 2024, right? Yeah, exactly. Yes, that's right. I, ha- I heard some so, like, cap guy There's probably talking a post June first. That's what it is. Okay. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> wow. 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 So yeah, you're right. So yeah, he's got. Wow. I mean, just one just of the worst brutal, trades though. of all time. Yeah, because they gave up assets too. So you're 100 percent right. This is the 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 rider ride or die. Let's ride. Um, and I think it's probably die. So you know, we might have a tough season there in in Denver. Um. I think, okay, so I like where we're going. We figured out that Russ is cooked. I agree with this. Um, the next one would be the 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 wide receivers. You already alluded to it. You know, Patrick, Judy, Hamler, Mims, those are your four. I feel like, uh, it was Sutton, Sutton, Patrick, Judy, Hamler, Mims, um, I feel like even without a trade, I feel like Mims can find his way on the field. But with one of those, probably best to be like Sutton. If if Sutton were to get moved, then Mims can find himself on the field like for meaningful snaps, right? Yeah. Uh also maybe it's worth mentioning that uh who was sitting next to Russell Wilson at that game was Tim Patrick. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not moving yep. him up or down in my rankings, but you know that, that could <laughs> that could mean something. Uh I think if you have to target a guy, it's 
Jerry Judy. I, I have this note. Um, yeah. I have this Google Doc of like tweets to eventually tweet out, and one of them is uh, Sutton over the last three years with Jerry Judy averages like five fantasy points per game without it's Judy. Ugly. It's like 16. Fan- so he's clearly the alpha. Yeah. Also Judy, by the way, like had yeah. more games with 90 receiving or 50, 60, 70 receiving yards than, than games with like 60% of the snaps. If you just look at when he was healthy, he was like a top 15 fantasy wide receiver. But I mean, really it's yeah. just hard to get excited about any of these guys. Like even Marvin Mims year one, I, I don't yeah, know that he's a no. redraft target for me. Not at all, right? I mean, it's it's kind of muddy with a bad quarterback and yeah, murky situation. I do. Do you think that they do trade either Judy or Sutton or 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 not? What do you think? I mean, is there any? There's maybe no takers. Do they just want to get off them? I mean, what what do you think motivates them to even trade any of these guys? I I have no idea. I, I think it's right? I think Sean Payton just like got stuck. He signed this amazing long term lucrative deal. Uh, yeah. But he stuck with a bunch of guys he didn't handpick, and so he just wants draft capital to start picking his own guys once they eventually move on from Russell Wilson. I, I don't, I don't know if they'll be traded or not, but that's kind of how I view it. Yeah, and that, the other thing about Mims in your rookie drafts too is that he's young. Yeah, uh, he's a, he's a young player. I think he's only just turned twenty one or something like that. So you can afford to not lose the season, but kind of lose the season and and see it next year where he you know sort of comes comes on. So I, I'm okay with that. I I, I sort of see that. I. I just it's a little bit murky. I do think Patrick has some sneaky upside this year. I mean, I, I'm not again because the offense sucks and because there's so many sort of different uh, you know mouths to feed there. I'm not exactly excited for him, but I think he's he may be better than Sutton right now. Like I don't know, man. It's possible. And Judy's definitely the one there. I, I agree with you totally. But Mims over Hamler immediately, right? Yeah, that's how I see it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The other the other interesting thing while we're just in Denver, just for the fuck of it. You talked about, I mean, the scariest player in the entire league is my man, the, my man crush, Javante Williams, who I feel like is in big trouble with his with his knee. I mean, we've you mentioned earlier when we were talking about Brees Hall, who, by the way, sounds like he has a, a, a real clean fix and is going to be in really good shape. But the, the reports on Javante are far from that. And it sounds like they're, they didn't draft anybody, so it's like Samaj P. Ryan. I mean, is Samaj P. Ryan a gigantic value right now, or do you think maybe they bring in a, a, a you know a, a free agent or a veteran of some sort, maybe even someone as you know high high profile as Zeke or Fournette? Yeah, I, I always worry about that. I, I got caught holding the bag way too many times, just projecting volume for a mediocre running back, only for a veteran to get cut and then signed like three weeks before week one. Uh, but I mean, he's still, you know, a great value in like best ball leagues for sure. Even if they do sign a veteran, I think he'll have a role. And for Javante, like the vibes couldn't be worse. This is the JK Dobbins injury, maybe even worse than that. Matthew Berry was saying when he was coming out of the combine after talking to the team, Denver's not even sure he's going to play at all this year. Like that's within the range of possibilities, which sucks because I love the player. He's one of my favorite players, but I, I am I am out entirely. <clears throat> if you can trade him for anything, I I packaged him to a rebuilding team and turned around ETN somehow or whatever. So yeah, I mean, any which way you can get off of uh, of Javante, I think it is uh, wise. Unless unless if you're if you're selling on name value, uh, but if they're if they're factoring in the fact that he might not play this year, it's it's a it's rough. I mean, he, he's currently even still the RB twelve in dynasty on sleeper ADP. 
an RB 15 and keep trade cut. That's way too high. Don't you agree? Like way too high. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like I said, my startup running back strategy is, you know, give me, give me Bijan or give me some, some cheap scrubs or old guys. But even outside of, even outside of startup strategy, I mean, if you're trading back for back for some reason or whatever, like no way am I paying anywhere close to that value from, I'm talking outside the top 20. Let's say he comes back in November and you know, he's just clearly not right. Like what does that do to his dynasty value? I just see so much more downside than upside. So much more downside, especially with this awful team this year. All right. Last one about Denver. Then we can move on to some, some other stuff. I mean, this is getting depressing. I think you're going to depress me again. Alberto, is there hope or am I just a sucker? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not seeing it. Uh, Greg Dulcich, he had over 40 yards per game as a rookie. That you know might yep. not seem like a lot, that but those are historically great numbers because yep. rookie tight ends tend not to produce a lot. He was clearly at least the last regime's guy over Albert O., um, and I, he was a really good prospect in a way that Albert O wasn't minus obscene athleticism and, uh, for upside, like this is within the range of possibilities is like, uh, Sean Payton's offense runs through a big slot. Right. And mm. so that's, is that Judy? I mean, he's not big. Could that be no, Dulcich? Okay. Yeah. I, I think that's a stretch. I think that's a little too much, but, um, I mean, who, who knows? I, I really have could no idea, Patrick. but I do, I do like Dulcich in, in drafts. God, it could be Sutton at X, Judy at Z, Patrick and slot. Jeez Louise. You get me excited about Tim Patrick the more you talk. But, you know, I wonder if Albert O is just like an asshole or something because, like, sometimes he's loved and other times he's just like, you know what I mean? Like, he's ha- like that the, the last season, uh, you know, whatever, two years ago, he was out playing Noah Fant. Like, he was out there, like, balling. And then, you know, we, we sort of project, okay, well, he's going to get some looks. And they were playing, like, sour butt over him or whatever. Like, these guys that I've never heard of uh, were playing over Albert O. And I, I was like, well, what – is he hurt? Like, and he did have some sort of brace on. But I, I was like, what the fu-? – like, it didn't make any sense. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, you'd like to at least see if he can perform. They didn't really even test that out, you know. So I just wonder if there's something there. Uh, there was – he fell in the draft. You know, I think he was a fifth round pick, even though he had, you know, very good, uh, you know, metrics coming out of coming out of uh, coming out of school, uh, you know, played with. Didn't he play with uh, Drew Locke? Isn't that where he played? Yeah, with? That's right. And like his season with Drew Locke, he was he was awesome. And then Locke left and he sucked again. Like he's been up and down. You know, I just wonder what it is with that, that dude, because we've seen the glimpses of him really showing that he can do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. You, you talk about how much more efficient he was than Noah Fan. I I just don't think Noah Fan is anything special. And so, like the yards per route run stuff matters, but but only if there's going to be a subsequent increase in usage. And uh, for sure, that just hasn't been the case. And he you know drafted Dulcich, and so uh, I, I mean I don't know what his price is. Like he might be a good upside play based on whatever his price yeah. is, but he's not someone I've, I've spent too much time on. Also, I just looked it up. The sixth most receiving yards per game by a rookie tight end since 1990 within that top six, Kyle Pitts, Jeremy Shockey, Jordan Reed, Evan Ingram, Cam Cleland and Greg Dulcich. Well, I mean, we've got us uh, the second coming of Cam Cleland folks. <laughs> could, <laughs> be, could be, could be tight. Uh, no, it is. It's that's pretty impressive actually. Uh, that, that, um, that, um, that group he's with, uh, I love Dulcich. I have him, 
right inside my top 10 dynasty tight ends for that reason. So even though I'm, I'm waxing poetic about Albert O, um, you know, the, the be ready to be wrong is in full effect. And I mean, I'm just wondering if there's hope, uh, not wondering if, if you, if you like him more than Dulcich, cause that's ridiculous. I mean, Dulcich was really great in his, uh, in his first year. And he also profiled as a player that, that could, that could play, you know, out in space, not just one of these close to the line of scrimmage, you know, three yard out guy, dump off, you know, touchdown here and there on play action by the goal line guys. He's a seam ripper. You know, he can get up the seam and get up the sideline. He can beat you deep. He can hit a wheel route. Like he can do a lot of the things that create big plays from the tight end position. He showed it in college. He showed it in the NFL. So for those reasons, Dulcich has a, a very lo- a high ceiling and can definitely be uh, drafted with that ceiling in mind. Once Jarrett Stidham starts to play. Um, let's do the, let's finish on this. I, there's a couple of, we've talked about it a little bit, but there's a couple of backfields where these, these, these rookies landed. And I wanted to kind of talk about it from a position of like, from the team position, not based off of the way this pot is going, there is no better human in the world to talk about it than you, because you are, you know, listening to press conferences and, you just told me you were listening to like 80 hours of press conference a week. God bless you. This is doing the Lord's work for us. I'm going to start paying Scott Barrett to have a weekly summation of this so he can tell me what the fuck's going on. That's probably on fantasypoints.com, which is probably where you should go to find all that damn information. Selfless plug. Let's move on. Rookie backfields, right? So I'll start with the one that I think is the most wide open. I do really, really like Khalil Herbert. I thought Khalil Herbert was out playing uh, David Montgomery on a smaller sample size for almost every game. Uh, it wasn't just in a big sample. It was like every game and each small sample Herbert was out playing Montgomery. I really wanted to see Herbert get some more touches. I wonder with Roshan now there and uh, Foreman, if it's Herbert's backfield to lose or if they see it otherwise, what do you think about this Chicago backfield? Yeah, I would love for it to be the Khalil Herbert show. Uh, He led all running backs and yards per carry last year, led in just about every rushing efficiency metric where while, by the way, David Montgomery ranked like 57th or bottom five. And still, in spite of that, they wouldn't give Khalil Herbert more volume unless there was an injury to uh, David Montgomery. But whenever that's happened, whenever he's had 12 or more carries, he averages like 98 rushing yards per game. So like, why can't he be the guy? I don't know, but it's just clear to me based on all of the actions and all of the, the comments that Chicago wants a heavy committee backfield. They do not trust Khalil Herbert to be the guy. That's another tidbit from Matthew Berry with his post combine article was basically don't buy into the idea of Herbert being a bell cow. And so when he made this Roshan draft pick, this, this got me particularly excited because our film guy, Brett Whitefield, his pre-draft comp for Roshan was David Montgomery. So, so to me, the question was, all right, is Herbert now the Montgomery and Roshan's the Herbert or is, is Roshan the Montgomery? And, and this, takes me back to the presser thing. This is like one of the most depressing pressers I listen to. And again, like, you know, take everything with a grain of salt, but I'm not mentioning it unless it is like, especially weird. And with this, the area scout who was like tasked with scouting Roshan and like was the one, the most emphatic one, he said, arguably his, his, the best thing he does is special teams. So we're really excited about that. The head coach said, mm. we really like it, what he does as a pass blocker. 
these these are all things that don't add the score fantasy points. The they right. they mentioned in passing his broken tackles numbers, which were really they were elite. You know, arguably the best yep. since at least 2014 on a per touch basis. Barely they paid lip service to that and just gushed about his character. They were like, well, the moment we we felt this he would be a perfect fit was when we interviewed him at the combine or the senior bowl, or whatever. And uh, in the meeting room, it was littered with empty water bottles and Roshan went up and he took every oh, empty Jesus. water bottle and he threw it in the trash. And we're like, we oh, need Jesus. that guy yeah. on our team. And it's like, oh, come on. God. No, I want to hear you say, this oh, is a David Montgomery clone God. and he's going to get 20. I think ultimately it doesn't matter. Justin it. Fields isn't yeah. going to throw to running backs. I, I, I don't see right. this as being an amazing offense. And like, look at what happened last year. David Montgomery was the RB 29 by fantasy points per game. Khalil Herbert was the most efficient running back in football. He ranked 46th in fantasy points per game. So I I just don't see any upset here. There's also a third guy. Who's the, who's the third guy? Is that Dante Foreman? Foreman? Yeah. Dante Foreman. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that he does anything. Tristan Ebner, if you, (laughs) if you like to, Oh God, (laughs) there's some dynasty guys going, say fucking Tristan Ebner. (laughs) You know, there's There's definitely some of those guys. Sick. I, I, yeah, they're sick. Like I, I, uh, I called last year, I called, uh, Julius Chestnut and Jordan Mason, like, you know, but I was like the fact that they made teams, that was, that was what, that was the victory. It's not like they're ever going to be good. It's just like, I think they're better than, you know, they made the team. Look at that. You know, Julius Chestnut had a sacred heart. I mean, yeah, he made the team. I told you, you know, but it's like, no, dude, it's he's not going to be, uh, you know, a starter. Same thing, trust never, you know, just temper expectations, gentlemen. But um, I, I wonder about this too, and I, I agree with you. But Herbert was so explosive, like he's so good. I feel like, yeah, I feel like they should just give him the sort of majority, like just the fifty percent plus of the backfield. And you're you're you know, right, look, and and that yeah. happens. So like all last mm-hmm. year. Tom Telesco was saying, you know, we want to we want to add another running back. We're, we've been giving Austin Eckler too much work. Austin Eckler himself on a podcast said, "I went to the GM and I lobbied I for them to add another yeah. running back." And so there was all this like narrative that they were going to scale back his usage. But you just look at the roster and these guys stink. This one guy is clearly yes. way better than the other guy. And what happened? He was a fantasy juggernaut. You faded him. You look <laughs> like an absolute asshole. And so the right. exact same thing can happen to Herbert. Yeah, I I really like Herbert. Though I mean, I I don't know. I didn't I didn't love him coming out, but when you watch how fucking good he was every single Sunday, you know, compared to the league, that, as you put it, I didn't I didn't realize he was that good. And, but he was clearly better than you know David Montgomery. And again, David Montgomery solid. And that's the thing with Roshan, also very solid. Like this dude is you know th- this water bottle story is like oh my god it's like the Malik Willis helping those people across the street or whatever remember that one um you know and oh my god he's going top 10 now um but uh I you know Herbert is that sort of explosion and Roshan is solid man that was everything the the word from the senior bowl the word from like he was team captain at Texas um I think he's like a you know he's just he's smart like it's just he's an amazing human being I think he's going to be a really good football player he's not that explosive though so i don't think like I th- that's the thing that worries me is that they'll be like they'll value the big bodied smart players reliable on pass downs but still not gonna outgain uh khalil herbert on a per touch basis i'd bet anything on that yeah no way i i, I don't see no that way. happening 
no way. Uh, let's move on. Um, he's he's some, also, to me, yeah. a guy like yeah. David Montgomery, who's much better at breaking tackles than he is at actually yes. gaining yards, or at least nowhere near yes. on Khalil Herbert's level. Right, right. Exactly. Yes. He's going to break a tackle and get one more yard um, because he's not explosive. That's mm-hmm. right. He doesn't have explosion. That's right. Uh, let's move to Cincinnati. There's a high value backfield. Um, Samaj P. Ryan proved that. Mixon proved that. They were both, you know, if you looked at the 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 uh, the value they added, uh, you know, as a if if you just looked at the entire backfield as a as one, they were pretty good. Um, Mixon, lots of questions, but he's still there, and it looks like he will still be there potentially, right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe oh, I I think but, I think definitely. I don't I don't think right? Chase Brown is anything special. He didn't have the draft capital to imply that no. Joe Mixon's going anywhere and like what even is there? Is there are there any like formal charges pressed against him? No, we've just learned that he is an asshole. And guess what? This is a team that knew he we was an that. asshole when he drafted yeah. him. So, uh yeah. I don't I don't think he's going. This is a team that thinks they have a Super Bowl caliber roster. Uh the uh, Chase Brown is not someone I'm drafting. Joe Mixon, uh, he's someone I, I feel comfortable drafting. I think he's a great value. I, I always gravitate towards these, you know, like the asshole discount. And I, I think you yeah. have that with Joe Mixon right now. For sure. For sure. I remember when, uh, when, <laughs> when, when he first, you know, absolutely starched that chick. And I was like, yeah, kind of a dick. Punched a girl right in the face. And people on Twitter will always be like, nah, I don't know what she said before that. It's like, what? What yeah, do you mean? no, that was horrific. Mean? This is what such a bad human said? being. That, I heard she said the N words. I'm like, I don't, what? What possibly could it she? It's like zero things you can say to. I mean, I, I, I heard she said uh, In and Out is overrated. And it's like, yes. okay, I, I get it. Uh-oh. Yeah, animal style only, bitch. Listen, <laughs> you know, don't fucking get out of line. I will knock your ass out. So, yeah, I think that one's solved. The one I'm interested for you to tell me about is you started to mention a little bit. We'll go quick here, but Brees and Izzy, you started to get me a little excited with eight to 10 carries a game for Izzy. You know, I, I am falling for Izzy a little bit. You also said you didn't like him, which hurt my feelings. And I almost threw you off the podcast immediately, but you made up for it when you agreed with me, agreed with me on Herbert. So that really makes me feel better. But, um, I understand the 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 knock on Izzy. He was not very good, you know, after contact. He wasn't very good through contact. But for me, he's a 20-year-old kid who ran a 4-3 something and jumped out of the building. Legendary, you know, he's 5'10, 5'11, 215 to 220 pounds, runs faster than everybody. You know, he's got that Antonio Gibson vibe going where he's raw, but the materials are there, man. I mean, if they can teach him a few things, if he can get coached up and potentially learn how to play running back better. He's got the raw materials to be an absolute stud. If Brees isn't ready to go, tell me a little bit. Get me excited somewhere or something. Tell me what's going to happen in this uh, in this situation. I, I feel like you mentioned that you think it's going to be more of a split. Yeah, I think it's going to be much more of a split than Brees Hall owners uh, are going to feel comfortable with. Again, yeah. I, I think he's far and away the best running back on the team, so th- that could change. Yes. I just know what the team wants to do. Uh and also, by the way, his health isn't concerned. So there's like also yes. upside is he gets more uh, because yep. it's not just that these post ACL running backs year one are less efficient. It's really that there's a high risk of compensatory injuries. So the yep. chance that he sprains an ankle misses time is is much and higher than a, whatever, a typical yeah. running back. But yeah, I, I just look at the roster last year. Uh, Michael Carter ranked worst of 51 qualifying running backs and rushing yards over expectation per carry. Zonovan Knight ranked second wor- worst. I think they hate those two running backs. I think they viewed this as a, as a need. Um, 
I think Abanaconda, who I didn't like at all, immediately supplants both as a clear uh, RB2 on the team. And so I, I do see... Uh, so over Brees Hall's last three healthy games, when fantasy players you know deemed him a bell cow, Carter still averaged 8.3 carries, 2.0 targets per game. I, I think that's what Izzy is walking into. Maybe Carter gets a, some percentage of that. But um, just as far as the player, Sean Siegel and I kind of butt heads on, on, on these guys where he accuses me of hating the fun players. And you yeah, know, maybe yeah. that's true. <laughs> I, I do, you know, I, I do think athleticism is a little overrated. I actually spent more time on my Izzy write-up than I did any other running back, which was because I, I worried that my model had a bias against these sort of speedy one-cut runners who don't sure. break a lot of tackles aren't great by yards after contact and uh digging into it i don't think so i think my model is just dead on right well that, that's great to hear because one of the things I'd, I'd love to incorporate what you're saying because here's the thing i look for is if you look at all these you know dalvin mixon you know cmc fournette you know all the all the top backs who, who have been over the jt you know just go up and down i mean you know all of them you know all the all the elite backs um, you know, over the course of time have all been size speed specimens, almost all of them. I mean, there's Arian Foster speckled in there. Montgomery never really got there because he wasn't special enough as an athlete because we would agree that David Montgomery is a far, far better practitioner at the running back position than Izzy Abanacanda ever will be. So I'm with you a thousand percent. I just don't know how much to value that stuff. I mean, we got a we got a little bit tantalized with with uh, with Gibson. I'm not sure he wasn't really a running back, so it was no data, probably not enough data for you to, you know, really uh, dive into his uh, missed tackles uh, and missed force tackles. But I guess what I would say is I would love to bring that into the things I look at. What are your findings there? Like, what are some of the case studies that you're like, yeah, look at this one or that one, or, or do you have that off the top of your head? So just with athleticism, the way I view it is like it rarely really helps a guy, but it can really hurt someone. You need the right. prerequisite, you know, That's weight right. adjusted 40 threshold. And Bingo. so just in this case, the athleticism was elite. I, I forget what I had. I, I think like a 97th, yeah, 97th percentile athleticism. So that yeah. matters. Like that, that definitely helped him in my, my final pre-draft rankings. Um, but, but it wasn't enough to overcome the analytics profile, which I thought was highly alarming. So what I did was I took his final season yards after contact per attempt, his final season missed mm. tackles force per attempt All and bad. horrific. And then I, I bump it up by like 25%. And I look at that sample. It gives me a sample size okay. of 111 running backs since 2014 with at least, I don't know, 175 carries. And here are the only hits from this list. TJ Yeldon, Alexander Madison, Philip Lindsay. And then look at players who had draft capital in the first four rounds. It's those names plus Carrion Johnson, Tyrion Davis Price, Jeremy Langford, Joshua Kelly, Tyler Irvin, Javorius Allen. And so just that cohort of Buck names. Get it that's right. right. Get it right. That was once upon a time people got excited about him, but but not me, because my my yep. I think I think uh Best case scenario, he's like Tevin Coleman light, but I, I just don't yeah. see that yeah. as being a player to get excited about for fantasy where yeah. uh, you, you want volume backs and I just don't see him being anything yeah. more than just like a backup. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I think, uh, you know what? I like it because actually broken tackles uh, and broken tackle rate or evaded tackle rate at the college level is one of the more predictive metrics for 
you know, uh, NFL success. Is that also what you found? Yeah, I, I, uh, missed tackles in all of its various iterations are the most predictive metrics for me. That's like total missed tackles, missed tackles per season, missed tackles per game in their best season. It's missed tackles force per touch, per attempt, per reception. All that stuff is just is just massive yards after contact per attempt is big too as a runner. And then as a receiver, yep. I'm not a, a raw volume guy. I'm not, you know, I don't look at reception share. I look at yards per route run. Uh, missed tackles force per reception does actually a really good job of, of looking at potential outliers who have upside maybe they didn't get that usage in college damian pierce exactly so so players like that yeah damian pierce also uh had a pretty good downfield uh metrics as well in other words he was targeted more so down the field than just a dump off guy uh which i think probably you look at too do you look at oh oh, absolutely uh so jameer gibbs what was interesting about him is he spent a lot of time lined up out wide and in the slot uh really inordinate usage for a running back he actually wasn't really good there but just that usage matters for Bijan robinson what was so interesting to me was he had as many deep or one fewer deep target over the past two seasons than Michael Wilson, who was drafted yes. in round three. He had the same ADOT as Sam Laporta, Will Mallory. Uh, his yards per target average would have ranked above all, but his career yards per target average would have ranked above all, but I think like four wide receivers in this class. So massive, massive upside there. So in spite of the usage, uh, really, uh, really bullish on, uh, on, those two guys and their pass catching potential. Yeah. Bijan had a better yards per reception than Josh Downs for his career. Right. That's like just, it's a raw number, but it's like, whoa, that's crazy. He had 13 and a half yards per catch for his career. Did Bijan Robinson. Bijan Robinson's career yards per target average was above Jordan Addison, Josh Downs, Zay Flowers, Michael Mayer, Luke Musgrave. And then you look at running backs, like, you know, Zach Charbonnet is at 6.4. So he's just crushing those guys. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, oh, I should, I should, I should mess with you. I've done this before. You ready? I'm going to give you a profile. You tell me uh, where he should have been drafted because I think it's a, it's egregious. Early declare running back with a 30 BMI, just under 30, 29.8 BMI. Uh, f- you know, uh, 116 career catches, 1800. Uh, all-purpose yards uh, in a single season by his true sophomore season. 1.76 yards per team pass attempt. I mean, 11 yards per catch for his career. This guy should have been easily a first-round pick, right? Uh, I would I would ask, what is his height? I would ask. <laughs> there he is. He's so good. He's so good, dude. He's 5'5", 179. It's Deuce Vaughn, dude. What a fucking dude, right? So, it, it's crazy. So I have two running back models. <laughs> only only one I use for my articles, but it's another one just to get a, a sense of, of, of these players. And it's like the, a basic model that only scrapes from college football reference. And so that, the, the, the variable doing the heavy lifting is uh, yards per team play in best yeah. season and it was elite mark and so like really early on in the process i'm like yo i think i'm a deuce vaughn guy like <laughs> this is cr-. and then i finally went through the other model where you know worse in the class by missed tackles worse in the class by yards oh, so yeah. uh de- definitely wasn't high on him but uh i'm rooting for him like how could you not root for this guy oh, this yeah. is exciting there's so like much. a yeah seven percent chance he's darren sproles you know yeah. fifth, fifth round I- rookie pick why not 
I'll have zero shares, zero cares, but I'll be rooting for him still. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll have no no dues, Vaughn, but I will be a hundred percent smitten if he's the RB one in Dynasty. I, I'll be totally fine with that. I'm okay being wrong on this one. I wish the kid the best, but good luck. Um, yeah, notice he wasn't on this uh, on this list of Deuce Vaughn versus Tony Pollard. I wasn't right. really curious. Um, the one that you brought up was was Chris Rodriguez and where he's at. I mean. I feel like he's like a, a lot like Brian Robinson. There's uh, Antonio Gibson there. What, what's going on in Washington? I know you wanted to talk about him, so let's squeeze him in right now. Yeah, so I mean, I wasn't crazy high on him. I, I did, though, like him more than just about everyone else. Um, so here, like I said, missed tackles force is a great stat. Here are the top five seasons by missed tackles force per game since 2014. Bijan 2022, Bijan 2021, Chris Rodriguez, 2022, David Montgomery, 2018, David Montgomery, 2017. So that's one cool stat. Another cool stat is like, he's the prototypical wrecking ball running back who gets better as the game goes on, gets better with more Mm. carries. Uh, Throughout the first three quarters throughout his career, he averages 5.25 yards per carry. In the fourth quarter in overtime, 8.52. And like by fantasy points per carry, it like explodes because he's had a ton of fourth quarter touchdowns um really good numbers by yards after contact per attempt by rushing missed tackles force per attempt better than zach charbonnet by a good margin um slightly marginally above average athlete by my by my methodology but what really yeah. uh moved the needle for me was watching this press conference and i intentionally didn't tweet this one out just because i think it's so actionable uh so nikki javala who's an excellent beat writer who covers the commanders said that they had a round three grade on chris rodriguez so they took him round five but round three is notable so you don't like want to contrast that with brian robinson he had yeah. round three capital, but I mean, apparently, you know, Chris Rodriguez wasn't too far off theoretically, let's say, but then you watch this press conference and they are enamored with it. You know, like he, we had much higher grades on him. He was sticking out like a sore thumb. This was a player that Eric B was jumping on the table about. He loves, he loves him. He has a clear vision for how he's going to use him. Eric Bieniemy was emphatic that we needed a running back like this, and and he, he really likes the the talent of this player. And so to me, it's he was handpicked by the new offensive coordinator that that matters. And it's mm. also like who is his competition? Like uh, they also, by the way, hyped him up as a pass catcher. I don't I don't pay. That's that doesn't make any yeah, sense. Yeah, I don't I don't pay much attention to that. I will just say they went out of their way to mention it like three times. They were like, Yeah, you know, Martin Mayhew and his connections really believes he can do more. We talked to the player, he thinks he can do more. It's just sometimes it's like usage and kind of like the coach has him, but like we really believe. And so like maybe, maybe there's some slight upside, but I'm not baking that into my projection for him. But so right. so it's like a committee backfield where the, the he has to compete for carries, but like you can make a case for him because Ron yes. Rivera hates Antonio Gibson's guts. You know, he was so yes. in the doghouse, like publicly criticizing him, uh, relegating him to kick return duties before yes. Brian Ra- Robinson's tragic accident. And then, okay, you know, like it's unfair to really look at Robinson's numbers in totality given that injury. But I mean, like he had what, two good games, a game and a half where he was good. Yeah. And among 50 qualifying running backs, he ranks seventh worst in rushing yards over expectation. And 
the enemy has nothing tied to this player when he's rooting right. for uh, Chris Rodriguez. So just as a, you know, fourth round rookie pick, I really like him as a sleeper as a final yes. round and underdog. I, I like him if only because, you know, no one else is talking about him. Yeah. I, <clears throat> excuse me. I agree. It, you know, y- your, your commentary got me thinking a little bit and it, I, I, I got excited then totally not excited for Antonio Gibson because I think about uh, Rodriguez and he is definitely a, profiles as a two down, you know, player. I mean, he was one of the worst in the class yards per team pass attempt. I mean, one of the worst in average you know, y- yards per catch a dot, the whole thing. Like he's not a pass catcher. Um, you know, he certainly wasn't one in college ever at all, but you know, I mean, he is a pretty skilled player. I did like the, the, the tape. He did have great yards per carry. He did have pretty good athleticism. I think he ran like a four, five, two at his size. That's a hundred speed score. That's very, very good. So he's fast enough. He's big enough. He's strong enough. He's durable. He's put up good numbers. I mean, he's been very productive as a rusher. And you see that uh, on film. I had a lot of a, a lot of uh, you know uh, people on Twitter tell me, "Hey, check this dude out." They're just sort of the Rodriguez hive. And when I turned on the film, I was like, "Yeah, he looks pretty good, man. You know, he looks like a good little runner." So I agree that he's almost pretty likely to be a better pure runner than Brian Robinson. I I, I think that's true. The question that I have is, who gets the pass down work? for the commanders yeah that's, pr- that's probably gibson gibson yeah, that's probably right gibson. i mean so i mean i think there's still value there right i mean so it's like is that right i mean i, like, I we, ultimately i don't i don't see any any real value it, it, it's a committee backfield on a bad team yeah, and so sh- right this sh- just goes yeah. back to our original conversation on running backs where you just <laughs> don't fuck around with these guys Right. Take whatever cheapest one lands to you in the last round and hopefully scores my, my a touchdown ideal, yeah. like, so your <clears throat> startup, right? I have Bijan yeah. Robinson and then ideally I have Dalvin cook and Zeke and like no other running backs. I'm just done at the position. Right. I'm just done. If I, if I'm, if I'm competitive and then there's an injury, I'll trade a future round two pick for like an Aaron Jones or something like that. But. So the one that fried everybody's brains was the, you know, Charbonnet pick. We talked about it earlier. We kind of could see it coming from a mile away that they would draft a running back, but they took Charbonnet. They killed Charbonnet and Ken Walker. You have, I think you've got a pretty interesting way of looking at this. And I don't think the Ken Walker fans are going to like your commentary. What do you think happens with this backfield? Um, well, I, I, let me just say, like, I, I wasn't high on Charbonnet. Uh, and I did, I was really high on Kenneth Walker as a runner. Like, I think. Walker is an immensely better runner than, than Charbonnet. Um, but I, I just don't really like either for fantasy. It, it, uh, Carroll is, has, has a running back fetish. As we all know, he just had a depleted death chart behind Walker. So like he viewed, he probably viewed this as maybe his most pressing need. And so this, this pick didn't surprise me at all. As far as like what you're looking at in terms of usage, I think it's basically, what we saw from Penny and Walker last year before Penny's injury, uh, which is, is like, all right. So since 2018, Seattle's averaged 21.2 carries per game. I'd see Walker getting 14 to 16 carries per game. Charbonnet getting eight to 10, even that like yeah. the math doesn't add up at all. So it's probably even worse than that. And as far as right. targets, uh, I don't know. It's probably Kenny McIntosh in the, who is that Travis Homer role? And yeah, yeah. so, uh, yeah, just gross, gross, 
It's real gross. Yeah, and I think Kenny McIntosh will be their sort of for sure we're passing guy. Like, you know, too many. I mean, what's that role worth? It's never been worth anything anyways. Zero. No, no, zero. But But what it is worth is it takes away the potential upside from Kenny Walker. I mean, I, I, I just don't understand why. I mean, for me, Ken, Kenneth Walker is so fucking good with the ball in his hands. Like, I'd want to get him the ball as much as humanly possible, but I don't suspect that the Pete Carroll and the Seahawks agree with that. I mean, it's possible. It's it's possible. Yeah, it possible. He just overpaid on RB2. You, you never really know, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's just congrats to whoever drafted Kenneth Walker and then traded him before the draft. That's like an all time (sighs) bank heist move. Yes. Yes. Because I mean, honestly, I, there were, there were some, there were some spots that had him as RB one pre draft in the, in the, you know, ahead of Brees Hall and Taylor, et cetera. There was, there was definitely some publications who had Ken Walker as RB one overall and that they're down bad. If you were, you know, investing in him at that, at that cost, um, the, the the team that we talked a little bit about, but Derrick Henry and Tajay Spears, very interesting situation here because I'm not so sure I see Tajay as an app, uh, a, a, an alpha back, a guy who's going to carry a backfield ever in this league. Um, so for that reason, I'm kind of out on him in, in general, especially given which team drafted him. I, I don't I don't love that. I mean, the way they see the running back position, they've sort of seen it through. Derrick Henry's eyes, the way they're set up, they're not set up for, you know, run and gun style where, you know, Tajay's playing in space. So it, it it's a it's a stretch to be able to see them utilizing him in the way that they would need to, even if they traded Derrick Henry. I just don't see Spears being like, well, now it's Tajay all the way. And then add in the fact, <clears throat> excuse me, that it is a bad offense, but add in the fact that apparently he has like no fucking knee. Um, th- this is crazy. What what do you make of this whole situation with uh, Derrick Henry and Tajay Spears? This is just another guy you don't want clogging up your dynasty rosters. It's you know right. uh, his so. his long term upside is capped because he's missing an ACL. Like what the fuck? Yep. And yeah. supposedly you know like he's probably done at after the end of his rookie contract, like Sony Michelle was. Um, yep. As far as like short term upside, like I, I do think that he's going to get more usage than we've ever seen from a Tennessee RB2. I, I I think there's a really good chance of that. Henry's 29 years old. He's had like 1,600 touches over the last five seasons. Um, maybe there's like a 2 to 4% chance he's the Tony Pollard to Derrick Henry's Ezekiel Elliott. But I mm-hmm. think that just means there's like a 97% chance you know he, he's going to have like two games over 10 fantasy points and good luck figuring out when the, that's going to happen. So yeah, not a player to to draft or feel excited about. Yeah. I've been fading him and <clears throat> every now and again, someone will take him like, like real late in, in, in a rookie draft. I'm kind of like, am I f- fucking fading too much? You know, it, it, because he, you know, before the ACL, before the landing spot, before some of this stuff, I was like, kind of liking him senior bowl stuff. He was pretty exciting. He didn't run very fast either. I mean, so that's a thing. He profiles as a as a, you know, sort of a smaller back that needs to have that sort of athleticism and he kind of didn't show that either. So for a lot of reasons, including the very very awesome ones that you gave, we are out here as well on Tajay. Uh let let's finish it off with the last one and a guy that I I, I you know, 
thought would get some targets in the NFL and then didn't last year. They they sort of treated him as a one, you know, a, a first and second down back and you know had Jim Michael Hasty catching passes and you know just not enough targets to Travis Etienne in Jacksonville. Then they bring in Tank Bigsby, who is also not a pass catcher necessarily. Uh, he was a behind-the-line-of-scrimmage dump-off guy. He did have some volume catches, but as you can tell the people, he was not a, a very uh, uh, downfield pass catcher, even though they lined him up in the slot a lot. I, I had uh, Noah Hills on the pod. We talked about that. But still, even despite the high slot usage for Tank Bigsby in college, not a lot of downfield targets. So I, I don't think that he's a – a pass-catching weapon in the NFL at, at all. But he is a pretty good, solid one-two, you know, first down, uh, second down, back in the NFL. What the hell are they doing in Jacksonville? What do they need Bigsby for when they've got ETN? How does this sort of pie shake out going forward this yeah, year? Yeah, ETN's another guy who just saw his dynasty stock plummet. Uh, yeah. A player I loved. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably too high on Travis Etienne, to be honest. Uh, yeah. But... And I, I don't like Tank Bigsby, but I, I really do right. think this crushes his value because like as much as I love bell cow running backs in fantasy, Doug Peterson loves committee backfields and he has a <laughs> right. plotter fetish. He's yeah. th- loves these plotter types. And that's kind of who like Tank Bigsby profiled to me. Like I know he has like rare athleticism based on his pro day, but not based on his combine. Um, but, but to me, like just, you know, plotter didn't, didn't have many explosive plays. Um, and this is kind of who like Doug Peterson has historically loved like Jordan Howard, LeGarrette Blunt, Ryan Matthews, Jay Ajayi. And so I think yeah. we're just going to see a typical Doug Peterson committee backfield, sort of like the Eagles in 2020 where Travis Etienne is Miles Sanders who had 16 touches per game. Bigsby is like Boston Scott who had 6.5 touches per game. It's also possible Peterson just doesn't like Etienne at all. And he does like, you know, the plotter archetype. And so Bigsby gets more than that. But at the end of the day, it's like an RB two and uh, who's not going to lead the team in touches. And I just don't see much value here. It could be a little bit of a um, Isaiah Spiller to Eckler situation, though. It's possible that, you know, ETN's just that much better than Tank Bigsby, although I think Tank may be better than uh, Isaiah Spiller was, potentially, believe it or not, especially as a first and second down runner, but whatever. Better than Isaiah Spiller? Um, yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. There we Spiller's go. Spiller's well, I mean, Isaiah Spiller was like people's RB3. I, know, I mean, I, I hated him from the start. It, right? Pre combine, I hated I, him too. Yes. Yeah. And then the combine sunk him. But yeah, I mean, he's, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're on the same, we're on the same page. We, we, uh, we famously faded Isaiah Spiller, of course. Nice. Scott Barrett, cause he's fucking super smart also did. I mean, uh, th- th- yeah, you're fucking amazing. Uh, how about this? We'll finish on this. Do you got anybody that, I mean, you're so friggin' pragmatic that all these guys that suck, you hate other than Chris Rodriguez, give me someone deep. I'm talking deep. Uh, someone that you that you like deep in the track. Could be at any position. Um, and I'll give you one of mine too. Um, that that I that I that I've been sort of plucking at the back, like fourth, fifth round pick. I just keep drafting him and I'm hoping nobody notices. Uh 
I mean, Keishan Bouti might be too obvious. I think he's a little bit. I think he gets steamed up a bit. Okay. I think he's this year's Justin Ross, which anyone knows how much I love Justin Ross. It's like a massive compliment. I mean, Justin Ross is a great guy. You're, you know, round three of the rookie draft. These guys blow, gravitate towards Justin Ross's upside. Uh, If not Puka Nakua, that's another guy who set high school records. And then uh, by yards per route run over the last two seasons, I think he ranked, you know, second or third best in the class. He was wasn't a full-time player, which like you hate to see, which really negates the bull side argument for him. But who knows why that was? Uh, the landing spot's great. The Rams have no one to throw to besides Cooper Cup. So uh, I guess Puka Nakua would be one of those names. I like that one. I like that one a lot. As a matter of fact, I got to ask you this question before I give you my answer because my answer may be stupid. Is Kyler Murray going to play? Oh, I I have no idea. I think if they're smart. And based on what they did in the draft, I think they're pretty smart. Uh, Just fucking shut him down all year. Take your time, you know, play some Call of Duty rehab, you know, and then and then walk into Caleb, uh, Caleb Williams. I always say Caleb Wilson because he follows me on Twitter. Caleb Williams. And then who knows what that Texans pick is? Maybe that's Marvin Harrison Jr. And you've just got the greatest tandem ever. Yes, dude. And and I'm saying for those reasons, I want Clayton Toon because like you're going to just roll out Colt McCoy for eight games without seeing what this, I mean, tune was pretty good. I mean, he was prolific. It's not out of the question that he's good. Like, you know, we've seen, you know, these quarterbacks, you know, Dak Prescott and shit like that. Like it's possible that he's good. I'm not saying he's likely good. I'm not saying it's likely he's good. I'm saying it's possible. He's good. And you're going to get quarterback starts, even just quarterback starts that you can then trade a fourth or fifth round pick immediately for a second round pick in super flex leagues because he's starting NFL football games, even if you think he's dog shit. So you can immediately return value early in the season. If Colt McCoy sucks, which this just in Colt McCoy sucks. And so you could probably have Clayton tune tuning up some defenses (laughs) as a late fourth, fifth round pick. It's crazy. I pick him every time. I don't even know if he's any good. It doesn't matter. I'm just so into the value. What do you think of that one? That's interesting. I I hadn't given that any thought. Oh, fuck. You're in the league with me. You're going to. No, I won't. I promise. You won't snipe me on Clayton. No, no. You'll call me and say, hey, listen, I'm about to take him on trade up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to do that for every one of my next picks just to throw you off the game. Just so you know, it might be a Clayton tune spot here. I don't know. You (laughs) might want to. I don't know. Future first or something like that. You can probably get in the mix here. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, hey, thank you. You're you're amazing. I think uh, you're that that was such a good show. Unbelievable. Yeah, I I actually don't like doing podcasts. I, I always feel like I'm really stupid on pod. Like I lose. Like I think I'm really smart in my writing and I'm really dumb on podcasts. So I, I don't like doing them. But uh, I thought it was great. I I, I had an absolute blast. I, I think it was a smart conversation on both sides. Uh, so I I'd, I'd be really happy to come on this again before the start of the season. You're amazing. You're awesome. Thank you for the fake uh, compliment. That was <laughs> it, amazing. It was genuine. No, I'm going to clip that. We're going to put it someplace. I mean, I, that was really awesome. No, I, I appreciate it. I'm being uh, self-deprecating, but I appreciate that. You know, th- th- this pod has, has grown and uh, you know, people love listening. And you know, I love getting the best out of my guests. I, I, you know, I don't know if I got that, but man, oh man, you were outstanding. I mean, if you, you know, I, I mean that. You're absolutely awesome. You are brilliant. I've said that a million times. You have a, a, a great way to break down the information. I know the listeners loved it. And I know for a fact, anybody who listens to this is now, 
if they weren't following you, it's crazy. But if they weren't, they're following you. If they're not subscribing to Fantasy Points, they've got a damn good reason to do so now. So I'm sure that they're going to run right over. I, I'm We're all running over. Let's run over and subscribe over at Fantasy Points because it's obvious that you want the insight of this man's hard work. And he works his ass off and he proved it today. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. Thank you. Genuinely. On behalf of everybody here at The Undroppables, on behalf of everybody here at The Undrafted, on behalf of the greatest podcast producer in the land who is currently holding a three to two games lead over my Boston Celtics, the awful Philadelphia 76ers fan and great podcast producer, Michael P. Duncan. You have been joined by the outstanding Scott Barrett. I am Jax Falcone and we are out. Out.